Chapter Thirteen of My Flirtations by Ella Hepworth Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen. Christina, I said thoughtfully one day when we were alone, you are a young woman of sense and observation. Did it not occur to you when Mr. John Ford dined here last night that he had the cachet, the unmistakable appearance of a husband? What do you mean, Peggy? What ridiculous notions you always have! why everybody knows that john ford is not and has never been married oh that's nothing i retorted i tell you he was born to be henpecked and to have a carriage with fat horses and never drive in it and to pay long expensive milliner's bills the man looks like a husband some men don't and never will let them marry three times and they never look as he looks well he hasn't shown any indecent haste about taking a wife said christina he must be every day of fifty no i said meditatively he is forty-six mettons forty-six he likes french cooking and italian operas dear old fossils like the travatore and the traviata he is slightly rotund he will give his wife a great many diamonds and he will probably want to live in prince's gate now if i were to marry a stockbroker i would never wear diamonds it is so like the city to wear diamonds as a mere matter of taste i should have nothing but sapphires and pearls and i should draw the line at prince's gate as you have only seen the man twice in your whole existence i don't think you need to disturb yourself about the locality you will inhabit with him just yet christina don't interrupt my daydream as a matter of fact i should insist on mayfair not charles street it's too gloomy nor south audley street it's too noisy but say park street or one of those cosy little cross streets a red house with a white door and copper fixings brass would be more appropriate for you my dear girl said christina sententiously and then the thing slipped from my memory as the butler brought up a bunch of orchids from mr van schuyler and a letter containing an invitation to dinner with mr julian clancy john ford the well-known stockbroker had made his first appearance in our house about a fortnight before he had been brought to the studio by a pretty showy jewess who was a great admirer of father's and who liked to run in and out at all hours and bring whom she liked he was tall broad-shouldered and clean-shaven and had bright blue eyes set in a square face a face which was red all over he was not quite ugly but his manners were odd he was very silent if he did speak it was principally of huntin and shootin but when he left the house he was the possessor of father's new academy picture for which he had offered in an off-hand way in a distant corner the sum of fifteen hundred pounds the next time we saw him it was at dinner at one of our big dinners it was one of those nights when i am simple and natural and my frock happened to be one of those white soft fluffy things which cost a small fortune and look so inexpensive at first the conversation did not flourish but mr john ford looked furtively and approvingly out of the corner of his eye as he ate his soup nice little frock he said at last like to see little girls in white ought always to dress in white and this was the first and last occasion on which mr john ford has ever paid me a compliment talking as i have said was somewhat hard work but before the dinner was over he had told me the most of his tastes and predilections in a world where we change our idols every six months it was refreshing to find anyone with simple old-fashioned tastes a liking for pictures with sunset skies and waxen-faced maidens for love-stories which end happily and for oleaginous italian melodies 
these were the things in fashion in mr john ford's heyday of youth and they suggested a capacity for fidelity which was encouraging and such is the adaptability of woman and the egoism of man that before we left the dinner-table mr ford was convinced that i cared for these things also but it was not of academy pictures and three-volume novels that i wished to talk with mr john ford contangos debentures bears and bulls have always been words of strange fascination for me probably because i am totally ignorant of everything that goes on in the city it came over me like madness that i wanted to have a little gamble and mr john ford offered to give me a straight tip as he called it about patagonians and i who never possessed more than one pound ten shillings altogether during my whole life felt quite dissipated and worldly and reckless as we discussed the little flutter which i was to undertake there is hardly anything so infectious as the disease of gambling for the rest of the evening mr john ford did not come near me but christina admitted afterwards that he was watching me all the time and when he left i was told that my financial affairs were to be seen to at once how excited how dissipated i felt during the next few days i received several business-looking blue envelopes in mr john ford's handwriting in which i was informed that patagonians were dull and afterwards that there was a boom in the same financial commodity and then again that a fall was expected soon to be followed by a rise all of which was greek to me but which sounded very reckless but one day a week later i had a shock which will always be a date in my history christina and i were sitting alone over the teacups a blue business-looking envelope was once more served up on a silver tray i began to feel like a rothschild or a bearing what's this i muttered as i began to seize the purport of the few neatly written lines which meandered over a large page he's bought me five shares in patagonians at ten pounds each i've got to pay fifty pounds during the next fortnight great heavens i gasped why i haven't got a penny in the world i was only joking an odd sort of joke my dear child said christina dryly couldn't you have remembered that rather important fact before oh i can't pay it what's to be done father must be told and-and-i shall never dare to look him in the face again who father N no mr ford and i like him so much with his little blue eyes and his face which is red all over wire him to come explain it nicely said christina with what i thought then was a devilish calm as she produced some telegraph forms pushed the ink and pen towards me and rang the bell for the man in less than an hour john ford was ushered into the room regardless of appearances i had had a thoroughly feminine cry and was now huddled up on the sofa with reddened eyelids and roughened hair a dismal-looking hostess to receive afternoon callers he came in shut the door and sat down gazing at me in astonished silence what's the matter miss winman he said at last been sending some poor devil about his business and regretted it already eh no no i never send anybody about their business i-i hate business anyway and oh why did you buy all those shares all those shares why i only got you fifty pounds worth i've just bought six thousand pounds worth myself but i haven't got it and i can't get it i've counted my money carefully and i find i possess exactly one pound five shillings seven and a half pence john ford laughed well i think i can manage to get rid of em for you 
in fact i know a chap who wants five more to any one not blinded by financial terrors the little subterfuge must have been palpable as it was i never saw it till long afterwards do you really know of someone who wants them i think you are an angel i said fervently john ford blushed redder than ever and just for a minute there was an embarrassing silence we did not mention patagonians again and yet he stayed quite a long time that afternoon at parting we looked straight at each other and i knew from that minute forward we should be firm allies there has never been a moment's doubt from that day that we should get on six months have gone by since that day and lots of things have happened every one in the house is very nice to me just now father calls me every minute into the studio to ask my advice mother dear mother looks at me solicitously and follows me about the house with a biscuit and a glass of port wine christina slips out of the room when the doorbell rings nobody contradicts me it reminds me of once long ago when i was ill and to be sure i am tired very tired such quantities of gushing notes arrive by every post which all require an enthusiastic answer and large brown paper parcels with many wrappings which have to be undone i might be qualifying for the treadmill i have tramped so often up the bare staircases of empty houses where elderly ladies smelling of gin and water implore me to convince myself how excellent are the dustbins and what convenient linen cupboards there are next to the garrets i bring home racking headaches from emporiums in the tottenham court road whence i emerge having ordered louis the sixteenth clocks for all the servants bedrooms and the particular shade of blue which i detest for the dining-room chairs other days it is true i slink out of the shop with the excuse that the drawing-room carpet which i have been choosing for the last two hours is for a friend and that nothing can be decided without consulting her but this transparent fabrication is invariably received with looks of withering scorn by the shopman in attendance i am getting accustomed to this if not to the ineffable young person in black silk who presides at madame virginie's and who always leaves me after one of our lengthened and heating interviews with the pleasing impression that i am undersized hopelessly plain and dressed in shocking taste her piercing black eyes look me through they discover the weak points in the cut of my nethermost petticoat and i dare swear if the truth be told that she is perfectly aware that i have a small hole in the heel of my stocking but the process of gentle low-voiced bullying which goes on at the milliner's only leaves one more obstinate and i think i prefer my sworn enemy the ineffable young person to that other imperious hebe at the hat-shop who looks aggravatingly pretty in every shape however eccentric and who is of opinion that madam cannot do better than take a straw saucer trimmed with stuffed birds and strawberries seeing that mrs langtry has definitely made it the mode there are those nervous interviews too with grinning sporting-looking attorneys in lincoln's inn fields when perfectly incomprehensible documents without stops are read out to me and i finally put my signature on a parchment which makes one feel for all the world as if one were signing a death-warrant there are the relations too unknown aunts and cousins from the provinces and the suburbs who suddenly appear asking one disagreeable questions about one's age and who generally sigh and hope it will all be for the best then there is the advice the reams of good advice which they and my other friends shower upon me i am assured what i can well believe that it is the first year which is so trying 
some would have me change the savouries at dinner constantly others insist that i must begin with morning prayers while another division conjure me not to allow smoking in the dining-room i am implored not to object to clubs am warned about pretty parlour-maids am told not to be too credulous and am supplicated not to show signs of jealousy as being quite out of date a few pray me to be tolerant of old friends race meetings and cigarettes while many more urge me to keep an observant eye on sisters-in-law cheque-books and bills there is all this and as a final blow there is the mackerel kettle i think on the whole the mackerel kettle has given me more weary days and sleepless nights than any other article i have had to procure in every book on furnishing we find the mackerel kettle placed foremost in the list of indispensable things in no illustrated catalogue of ironmongery is a tempting little woodcut of a mackerel kettle omitted and yet in the flesh or rather in the metal the mackerel kettle forever eludes us fabulous sums are expanded in hansom cabs scouring the tottenham court road in pursuit of this phantom article of hardware and i begin to think that my chances of happiness may be seriously compromised but time flies by the day is very near now one foggy winter afternoon i toil upstairs to christina's room dragging after me with the help of the maid a long brown wooden box what do you think has come i demand breathlessly bursting into the room where christina is trying to read an article on the underpayment of feminine labour in one of the reviews put it down sarah unbuckle the strap quick womanlike my sister throws down the twentieth century and we bend curiously over the box as the maid lifts gingerly out a garment of shimmering white and silver from under a layer of tulle symbols of the eternal feminine those lengths of glittering satin flaunt themselves over the sofa and along the floor lighting up the dim little room with their sumptuous whiteness while like a june cloud the foam of tulle floats for an instant in the winter dusk it is my wedding gown end of chapter thirteen end of my flirtations by ella hepworth dixon recorded by celine majeure